I'm uh, Jean-Paul Michael. I am a uh, addiction case uh, manager at a uh, inner city hospital in Toronto. And uh, before I did that, I uh, injected drugs for uh, for about seven years. Great. And uh, my name is uh, Whip uh, Lamba, uh, and I'm an addiction uh, psychiatrist. I work uh, in a hospital uh, setting, uh, and now I think we're both trying to learn and teach about how to work with people who use drugs or used to use drugs or something like that. Something like that, yeah. Spread the knowledge. Yeah, and today I thought um, we'll go over some of the core content stuff uh, as well. Okay. And so the stuff that we've already have posted is how to understand a patient using the perspectives of psychiatry model. We have a little bit on the uh, psychiatric interview. We have an introduction to motivational interviewing, which is all about engagement, how to hook the person uh, in. Uh, and uh, we also have one on the community reinforcement approach and family training. Yes. And that's a therapy that's designed for family members of people who use drugs. So if your brother, sister, uncle, aunt, whoever, neighbor, roommate, partner uh, was struggling with alcohol use disorder and refusing to get help, you don't have to wait till they hit rock bottom. You right. can uh, implement some of these uh, principles. You can reach out to FAR Canada for peer counseling, uh, and you can pick up the book, Getting Your Loved One Sober. Yes. And that therapy was developed by Robert Myers. So the thing I'm going to talk about today is actually linked to that. It's called the Community Reinforcement Approach. Mm -hmm. And it's a behavioral therapy. It's a CBT-like therapy. And Bill Miller, who invented motivational interviewing, and Robert Myers, who developed CRA, Community Reinforcement Approach, developed uh, a book together where they talk about how to integrate the two. Okay. Because you may remember when you were doing the MI training, a lot of it was how you talk to someone. A lot of it was like getting them to come up with the reasons for change, all of that kind of stuff. But it wasn't as explicit about goal setting or the steps on how to make the change. So once the person's like ready to go, let's do it, let's stop this crystal, it doesn't go into depth on what do you need to do here and there to make that happen. Right. And the community reinforcement approach is what you use when the person's ready to make that shift and change. Okay. And did that come after MI? Uh, I think it was around the same time. I think the papers were around the 80s or early uh, 90s originally. Okay. Uh, so it was really around the uh, the same time. They were developed uh, almost in a parallel, actually, okay. you know, uh, uh, around it. Uh, and uh, it, it's sort of like a CBT. It's a lot like cognitive behavior therapy, uh, but it's just, uh, it's very much focused on the uh, on the behavioral. And in fact, for stimulant use disorder, what's the psychotherapy that has the most evidence for it? I'm going to assume it's CRA or we wouldn't be talking about it right now. Yeah. So it's contingency management plus CRA. Okay. That has the best evidence for stimulant use disorder in terms of behavioral therapy. Okay. Interesting. Why isn't it spread anywhere? I don't know, JP. I don't know why it's not spread anywhere. Um, I mean, usually you, you have to pair a lot of things with contingency management. Because it's tough to administer. That's why it's not spread everywhere. I mean, it's one of the reasons why it's not spread everywhere. I know in, in our services where people have brought it up, it's not an easy thing to to manage and to uh, and to get the mechanics going of it and, yeah. and uh, that sort of thing. And that's been some of the pushback. Yeah. And then the evidence isn't a clear and an open uh, context, right? So when you have an environment that you're open to the general public, you know, and everything's there. You have like unlimited supply of drugs, unlimited supply of money. How, how are you going to make a coffee card rewarding? Uh, but there's a, but maybe we'll do an episode on contingency management. 
Yeah, I think we should. I think I think there's a there's a lot of crossover with contingency management on so many different uh, types of addiction, right? Where it uh, it can work, or or, yeah. it, or the philosophy of it. I think it's worthy of kind of doing a deep dive into that. Yeah, and maybe there's a way we can uh, try to get some uh, feedback too about whether people prefer like a dialogue with us or if they want like a bullet point, bullet point, bullet sure. point. Yeah, yeah. If it's, uh, I mean, I guess our our method of learning is a little bit of like story time. Um, <laughs> Uh, but uh yeah. you know i mean i think some people find that uh, interesting but uh, yeah i mean I, I know i know i find it interesting because uh i find with the story times your your mind gets full of why this is important to you and then you have messages hidden inside yeah and then the motivation builds up and then you dive deeper on your own i just feel like if the motivation's not high i mean how many textbooks are there there's textbooks everywhere right how many of them have we read probably none Right. But if the motivation's high and if we have a patient we're struggling with, boom, all of a sudden we're going to do that work. Yeah. Back to CRA. So it was developed by Robert Myers and uh, it was developed in New Mexico around the same time as motivational interviewing. And as I mentioned before, Robert Myers was trained as a behavioralist. So he worked, with, he worked with a Nathan uh, Azrin as his uh, supervisor. And as I mentioned, Nathan Azrin, what did Nathan Azrin know? The, the audio is so much better this way. Yeah. Okay, so Nathan Azrin, uh, he um, he developed the token economy for schizophrenia, and he also um, developed the toilet training for the developmentally delayed uh, adults. And so the community reinforcement approach was the uh, community reinforcement approach uh, is a behavioral therapy, really cognitive like a behavioral uh, therapy uh, and uh, it's it's got several different uh, components to it the core principle is that you want to make your sober life so rewarding that you wouldn't want to miss a day by using substances <coughs> and when when i think about my own life so when i moved to toronto on wednesday Nights, I used to go to uh, Hey Lucy's in uh, Toronto, mm -hmm. and they had these like five dollar uh, martini nights. And you know, growing up in uh, Ottawa, I was new to Toronto. I didn't have a social circle. You sort of want to make that uh, connection. And then what I noticed was that on Thursday mornings, I was a bit just tired. I was a bit like tired during the day. Uh, and uh, for me, it was just so important to become a good doctor. I'm like, I can't be tired anymore. And so after a few months, I just had to stop doing that. I just had to accept the um, losing that social uh, event uh, and then afterwards uh, just uh, so I could function on the Thursday. Um, when I started uh, dating, marrying my wife, uh, when we started to have kids, my wife would comment that if uh, we went out on Friday night, I was just a bit tired and grumpy on the uh, Saturday morning. And uh, it was so important for me to be present with my kids and with my wife on the Saturday morning that uh, I just I stopped uh, going out, uh, stopped having more than maybe a beer uh, on the Friday nights. The other thing that happened with me was that I was such a uh, uh, evening and late night person. I never got up early. You know, I have memories, you know, when I was like uh, in grade nine or 10 and it was like 9.15, school started at nine. My dad would throw water on me. He's like, why are you still in bed? What's going on? Uh, I'd always leave my alarm to last minute. I would always be late. And then when my, my son was like about 
I don't know, six weeks old. I think I got home. It was like Christmas, uh, Christmas Eve. And it was like eight o'clock. And my wife was just tired and drained. And she's like, this isn't working. She's like, you got to be home at six. It's not going to cut it. But if I was to get home at six, I wouldn't get all my notes done. And so all of a sudden, it was so important for me to be present as a father, present as a husband, present at home. You don't want to lose your wife. How many doctors are divorced, right? Tons of doctors are divorced. You don't want to be a divorced uh, doctor. And so all of a sudden, I started getting up at like five o'clock. I'd go to the office. I'd do my paperwork, prepare for all my talks, all that kind of stuff. So basically, if you can make your sober life more rewarding or something so rewarding to you and so important to you, you just have to be there and excel you almost don't have to think behaviorally. You don't have to worry about cravings. You don't have to think about urges. You don't have to think about any of that stuff. Boom, all of a sudden it shifts. And so this core philosophy is not discussed enough, right? Like how do you make your sober life rewarding and uh, meaningful? So that's the core. So how did you do it? For which part? For coming home earlier for your wife. How did you do it? You get your notes done. How did you, how did you, or, or how did you, you know, kind of replace that Thursday night at uh, Hey Lucy's? So... Because I wanted to be so good at my job, I didn't want to be tired, I just stopped going. Okay. Like I, I, I just stopped going. Like I just I cared so much about it. I, I didn't I didn't have to replace with another social activity. Okay. You know, like uh, I didn't have to replace it at all because I cared so much about that. And it, 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 for the uh, morning work and the sleeping in in the morning, I just you have to get your notes done. Yeah. Right. You have to get your notes done. If you have talks to do, you have all that stuff. You have to prepare. You have to get all the, the handouts ready. You know, kind of reviewed your priorities there and and and, and prioritized. The, the behavior year. just follows. Right. Okay. The behavior just follows. Right. Like it's it's almost like a, I would just force myself to get up at five o'clock. I would just get so so. One of the the challenges also for me in the morning uh, is that if if I'm in the in in my bed and I'm just sort of like lying there, I'm thinking about what to do. I just, I, I can waste the whole uh, whole morning. But if I get out of bed, I shower, and then I physically get in the car, and I get to the office, all of a sudden, boom, I can be, uh, I can be productive. Okay. So there was a couple of behavioral stuff that I did, because I couldn't actually get up early and do it uh, at home. That work and the paperwork, I had to actually had to work. So I had to make a deal with my wife that she would do the morning routines uh, as well. So there were some behavioral stuff. But the teaching point relevant to CRA is that if there's something meaningful and important, all that stuff could shift. Okay. So what do you do in uh, CRA? There's, so there's different components, right? And so when the person comes in, uh, one of the first things you do with them is called a happiness scale. And so the happiness scale, there's like 10 components, and you just have them rate on a scale of 1 to 10 how happy you are with these things in your life. Only one of those 10 things is the substance use. The right. other part is like uh, family, uh, wealth, uh, education, uh, social connection, self-habits. Uh, there's 10 different items for there, and we'll include that in the uh, link in the, the notes. Okay. And then once you have those uh, different items, you can ask questions for them. You can use MI questions. Oh, why are you at that number? Why are you at that number and not lower? What would it take for you to get higher? And, and I love this line of questioning because say if someone's been sober for a week, what are you going to talk with them about if all you talk about is a substance? Like, like oh, like, oh, I'm not using anymore. It doesn't matter. Like, well, well how's, your, how's your relationship at home? How's your self-care? How's your exercise? How's that stuff? Because it always gives you something to work on. And then what you do is once you have those 10 things, then you come up with goals and commitments. There's like 10, uh, each one of those categories, so like habits, substance use, relationships, education, work, family, whatever. You can create smart goals based on each of those. And you can have that overarching long-term goal, but you can also add what do they need to do in that week? 
Okay. So one part is goal setting. The next thing you try to do is you try to get a commitment for a certain amount of sobriety because there's a signal to suggest that if you can have 90 days of sobriety, you're more likely to be successful in moderation. So you do a bit of negotiation for that, that piece as well. Um, even though they don't directly say CBT, it is really CBT based. So there's a guy, Albert uh, Ellis, I don't know if you've heard of him or not. No. And so he developed this thing called, um, oh my goodness, uh, REBT, Rational okay. Emotive Behavioral Therapy. Okay. And really what that is, it's actually the same thing as CBT. So Aaron Beck developed CBT, Albert Ellis developed Rational Emotive Behavioral Therapy. Uh, Aaron Beck was probably a better businessman, entrepreneur, a more meticulous, organized, had all the RCTs, got all of them published and uh, and so forth. Okay. Uh, and so, but, but really it's a kind of a CBT. It just sometimes does include a couples counseling, so you include the uh, partner in it uh, as, uh, as well. Uh, sometimes it has a job retraining uh, component uh, to it. It also has uh, sober activities. So for example, it uh, a part of it is to create sober fun uh, activities during the high risk of drinking times so like a wednesday night uh, pool uh, pool hall or movie night or, or things like that the behavioral components are more related to rewards right so figuring out what's the function of the person's use and you get them to do like a functional uh, analysis right and so the functional analysis uh, involves looking at um, uh, who they use substances with uh, when they use substances, where they use substances, uh, what are they uh, thinking, uh, what are they feeling physically, what are they feeling emotionally. Uh, it also includes uh, what uh, what they're actually using, how much, how often, uh, how much they go through, how long it lasts. And, and then there's a section where it's what do they like about it, what do they like about uh, how it makes them think. What do they like about how uh, it makes them feel physically? What do they like about what do they like how it makes them feel emotionally? And and when you go through those those things, um, it gives you a clue about what this person is getting from this experience, because those are the things that they eventually have to recreate. Which is what you're asking me about. Well, what did you replace it with? Yes. What do you what do you recreate with it? Uh, and then the next part of it is going through all the negative consequences. Okay. The negative consequences on your health, on your relationships, on your family, on your work, on the legal, on the emotions. So the the negative consequences, are these of the 10 items or these of the uh, all the items or just the... Oh, so I probably didn't explain it. No, so you didn't. What a functional analysis is, is when you're meeting with the patient, yes. you'll, you'll ask them, what's your most common pattern of use? Okay, so we're, we're on to the sub, substance use specific part of this. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, and so what's the most common part of your substance use? And that's where you break down what that most common pattern is. Okay. The antecedent, the behavior, and the, the consequence okay. uh, for it. What's the trigger behavior, the reward, and the negative uh, consequences? Uh, and um, you start with the most common pattern, but eventually you can add the other patterns to it as well. And so that's part of it, understanding what's the function of the use. And you do that in craft as well. Right. Absolutely. You would then do something called sort of rec therapy where you'd help them brainstorm around what would be healthy activities you could do instead. You'd go through activities that are free versus ones that cost money. You'd go through ones you do alone versus ones you do with um, with others. And you just get a whole bunch of those uh, recommendations. And as a therapist, you want to find ways that you can also share sometimes personal examples of stuff you use. You'd want to share personal examples that they'd have a chance to use depending on their 
So rec therapy, is that short for recreation therapy? Yes, okay. yes, yes. And so the idea of that is, so you're coming up with things that the patient is giving you that they w might like to do. Maybe they like to bike. It's not stuff that's random. It's stuff, maybe they used to bike ride. They like to bike ride. But, Absolutely. And they would do that sober or, you know, go for a, a hike and they would do that sober or spend time with their mother and they would likely do that sober, that type of thing. That, that's absolutely it. And okay. then also, you know, sometimes people have things that they used to do, they used to love, they'd want to do again. Sometimes those may not be options anymore. And so the, there also has to be a window that you can just pull from the, the ether of the universe as well. Okay. So they're coming up with these ideas and, and the idea is that these would be... A, the the objective is to again have activities that they would like to do sober or they would do sober yes yeah okay. yeah that's exactly it okay and then what do they do once you've developed this what's the kind of general premise of of, of this list that, that you do with that oh it's, it's almost like a menu of uh, options uh, okay. so to speak and then you do just like we did a functional analysis of the negative behavior you do a functional analysis of the healthy behavior too so, so what does that mean? Uh, that means that you do the same thing around good things that you do. So what would be a good thing that you've, uh, you've done or used to do? Um, uh, go for a walk uh, with my partner. Okay. So walk for, so you feel like, so who you're with, you're with your partner, where would it be? It'd be just outside the home. When, when would it be? Maybe a Saturday morning. Saturday morning. And then, then you'd go through, what were you thinking right before? What were you feeling physically right before? What were you feeling emotionally right before? And then you'd go through what that walk was, what that pattern was, and what do you like about what it makes you think, makes you feel emotionally, physically. And then you'll go through the, um, sorry, no, no, you'll go through what you don't like. Okay. Because you flip it, right? So what do you don't like about how it makes you think, uh, feel? Because sometimes in the morning you might be like, oh, I'm tired today. Or I might not want to do this. Or I might not want to do that. I mean, once it's a habit, it's different. But say the first time. Right. Say if, you, say if it's been like three months, maybe you hurt your ankle. You haven't been going for a walk. The first time it's like, oh, it's cold outside. I don't know if I want to go. All that stuff. And then you go through the long-term positives. So for unhealthy behavior, usually you get a short-term positive And then you get a long-term negative right you eat a whole bunch of sugar yeah short-term positive long-term negative for the healthy behavior it's flipped right? right first time you go to the gym you feel like crap right can't move my body hurts and then the the long-term consequences are, are good for it okay and when you're creating a new habit right it could be going for a walk uh, it could be um that's all I can think of, going for a walk. Going for a walk, okay. Yeah, you would uh, have more likely of it happening if you link it in the social context. Going, You like to go rock climbing with your kids. That's, that's yeah. one behavior, right? So yeah, yeah. Ever been on a bike? <laughs> I, I did, yeah. No, I, I biked to I biked to work a couple of a uh, couple of times. Goodness. But uh, going back, the the hills <laughs> are so hill. high. Yeah, it's so up high, and I was just like. Uh, uh, I, was, I was dreading it so much afterwards, you know, but I mean, everyone has such great um, suggestions, right? You know, and so uh, I told a guy at work that he's like, yeah, until the first time I did it, you know, sort of on call, I did a day where I could just do it leisurely, take my time, take breaks in between, because there's all these creative uh, sort of solutions, right, uh, for it. But the whole idea behind this community reinforcement approach is that you have this unhealthy behavior yes. where there's a trigger behavior reward. Right. And maybe there's some negative long term consequences and you want to have the same trigger, the same reward, but a new behavior. 
But the problem is any new behavior you use is not going to make you feel good right away. And, and you, you, it's better if you link it to social contact. So maybe we'll just give uh, one example to wrap it all together. Sure. And it's, it's a silly uh, example. Uh, it's not nearly reflective of using crystal or any drugs. But with a lot of these um, psychotherapies or behavioral therapies, the psychological principles are, are sound. And we just take them for simple things and adapt them to further. So for example, this is story I used to tell. So usually on Friday afternoons, you know, when I worked uh, where where you work now, um, I, uh, I I just hate Friday afternoons because I had a pile of paperwork I had to get done, uh, phone calls to do, faxes and all that kind of stuff. And I just had this uncomfortable feeling myself like, oh my God, I, can't, I don't know if I can sort of do this. And so what I would do is I would uh, get out, I would go wait at the elevator, push the button, wait, what is it, 10 minutes it takes for the elevator to come? <laughs> From time to time. Yeah, so I'd take the elevator all the way down, I'd go, I'd get in line at second cup, and they had these like, these butter tarts, these like 600 calorie <laughs> butter tarts. Uh, and I would just wait in line, literally wait in line, I would get that butter tart, and I'm just like, oh, like, like probably before I walked out of the second cup, it would be, it would be gone. Uh-huh. And for about 10 seconds in the mouth, it was just like this immense sort of like reward. And then I had this like clump in my stomach. And, uh, but that reward was enough that like, you know, when I'd get back upstairs, um, I didn't have that uncomfortable feeling. And then I was, you know, just, I just got back to my work and stuff. So what did I do instead? You know, instead what I would do is I just would walk around the floor one time, two times, three times. I'd run into, uh, people I knew. I'd see their door open. I would do what you do with the small talk. Hey, how you doing? How's your week? Oh, what are you up to this weekend? What's going on? Just have a little bit of that, uh, small talk. That feeling in the stomach would go away, and then boom, I'd get back to the paperwork then. So that's like a little mini CRA in practice. Yeah. Okay. Yeah, that's a mini CRA in practice. All right. Well, that was uh, that was a, a very good uh, first uh, first look at uh, CRA. Yeah. 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 Awesome. Yeah. Okay. Well, thank you. Thank you. Thank you.